The ageless one appeared to Abraham at the oaks of Mamre while he sat at the entrance of his tent in the day's heat. He looked up and suddenly saw three men standing near him. As soon as he saw them, he ran from his tent entrance to greet them and bowed deeply. He said, Sirs, if you would be so kind, don't pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought to you so you may wash your feet and refresh yourselves under the tree. Let me offer you a little bread so you will feel stronger. And after that, you may leave your servant and go on your way since you have visited your servant. They responded, fine, do just as you have said. So Abraham hurried to Sarah at his tent and said, hurry, knead three sayas of the finest flour and make some baked goods. Abraham ran to the cattle, took a healthy young calf and gave it to a young servant who prepared it quickly. Then Abraham took butter, milk and the calf that had been prepared, put the food in front of them and stood under the tree near them as they ate. They said to him, where's your wife, Sarah? He said, right here in the tent. Then one of the men said, I will definitely return to you about this time next year. Then your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Abraham and Sarah were both very old. Sarah was no longer menstruating. So Sarah laughed at herself, thinking, I'm no longer able to have children, and my husband's old. The ageless one said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Me give birth at my age? Is anything too difficult for the ageless one? When I return to you about this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Sarah lied and said, I didn't laugh because she was frightened. But he said, no, you laughed. The ageless one was attentive to Sarah just as they had said, and the ageless one carried out just what they had promised her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham when he was old, at the very time God had told him. Abraham named his son, the one Sarah bore him, Isaac. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, just as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has given me laughter. Everyone who hears about it will laugh with me. She said, who could have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse sons? But now I've given birth to a son when he was old. For the... for the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Join us in singing hymn 190, The God of Sarah Praise.
Why are Mennonites terrible joke tellers? Timing. That's <laughs> uh, one of my favorites. Anybody else have a joke? We've got we've got uh, one or two jokes. I'm I'm you know what I knew more jokes when I was younger than I do now. So I'm wondering if some of the younger ones in the room know a joke. Anybody? No joke, surely. Okay, excellent. So these two old guys are talking and the old guy says, um, I took this memory course, it changed my life. It's the greatest thing I ever did. The other guy says, what's that course called? He says, um, um, what's that thing? It's about this big, it's red prickly his friend says you mean a rose guy says yeah he says rose what's the name of that course <laughs> oh, that's good do we have one more oh excellent why did the turkey not eat at thanksgiving dinner not eat at Thanksgiving dinner? Because it was already stuffed. <laughs> oh, for those who didn't hear, why did the turkey not eat at Thanksgiving dinner? Because it was already stuffed. That's good. That is good. All right. Well, in this pivotal moment that we've just heard the story twice, in the desert down here, and then from Darren. In this pivotal moment of this epic tale of the great family of God, of God's relationship with the Hebrew family over generations, a sermon could be offered on hospitality. And it has been offered on hospitality many times. In fact, I'm sure I've preached on hospitality, the way that Abraham receives the three guests who are also sort of God, but they're sort of three men, and that sermon is an important one, and it is an important one because hospitality in this time and in this place was life. It was a matter of survival. It was not a thing you did because you felt like doing a nice thing on top of life. It was built seamlessly into the culture because it was necessary. That would be a great sermon on this text. I couldn't escape the laughter. So you're getting a sermon on laughter. And if there's anything less funny than, I don't know, like explaining a joke, it's probably preaching about laughter. Uh, so I, I can't guarantee that you will actually laugh, but this is where I have been drawn. Where are you in the story? Uh, Cindy, as she was sharing the story, wondered, where would you be in the story? And as I was reading our text for this morning over these uh, weeks of preparation, I was standing at the tent door with Sarah. I don't know why, 
Maybe it's a gender thing in part, like there's the men are out having this conversation and Sarah's on the outskirts by herself. So maybe I just feel like as a woman that I belong with Sarah, I feel more at home with Sarah over there. But also she just seems sort of free over there. She's eavesdropping a thing I think many of us can admit we sort of like. Do you like to eavesdrop? I like to eavesdrop. I also really like to watch people. My mom and I, when I was younger, we would sit in restaurants and we would try to figure out the stories of the people at the tables around us. So I'm, uh, John makes fun of me because I do the like looking out the corner of my eye, which is not at all subtle. I mean, it's just real obvious. So I think that's the other reason why I'm with Sarah at the tent door, because that's where you get to like watch the conversation that's happening, listen in, and just like have your own little private exchange about it. Well, here it is. <clears throat> the three visitors, the three men who are also somehow God. It's 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 that's a whole other sermon. It's a it's a strange thing that's happening there. But these three men sitting with Abraham, say to Abraham, where is your wife, Sarah? And he says, right here in the tent. And then one of the men says, I will definitely return to you about this time next year. Then your wife, Sarah, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door. So here I am hanging out with Sarah at the tent door behind them. Now, Abraham and Sarah were very old. Sarah was no longer menstruating. So Sarah laughed to herself, thinking, I'm no longer able to have children and my husband is old. Now the Hebrew is a little more crass. Um, there's something in there about the husband and no longer being able to have pleasure or delight. Isn't that interesting? Some of you know that I'm on a personal mission to talk about perimenopause as often as possible because can we just normalize a thing that is as normal as puberty and that everybody is going to experience either in your own body or in the body of someone sitting next to you? It's big, it's messy, it's hairy, and now we're going to talk about it because that too is crassly in the text. It tells us Sarah is no longer menstruating. So she is in fact post menopausal. Now, if somebody, if I overheard, let's say four men having a conversation about how I was going to give birth to a child next year, <laughs> oh my, I am not yet postmenopausal. I am perimenopausal, but I am going to be 48 next month. And let's just say that ain't happening. Because I'm not yet postmenopausal, though, there might be an undercurrent of dread. Like, could they be right? <laughs> it is very implausible, but it is not impossible. Sarah, on the other hand, and here I'm going to make a wild assumption, because I actually remember, I think I preached this text four years ago, and I have this recollection of declaring to Rita from the pulpit that next year you're going to give birth to a child. Now that is impossible, right? The text tells us she is no longer menstruating. So of course she laughs, ha ha. Good luck with that, fellas. Leave it to four men to think that I 
am going to have a child. She is so deeply human in that moment. So deeply human. And I think of how often laughter in my life has been a moment of my deep humanity. So I invite you this morning to think back to a time recently or further away of when you did one of those full body laughter things, you know, where you just like lost it. Maybe you started crying. Maybe your gut started hurting. You know, you can like feel all of a sudden the muscles in your stomach. <laughs> like, oh, I do have muscles in my stomach, it turns out, because uh, I feel them when I laugh hysterically. Call to mind a moment. Do you recall what was funny? I actually, John and I had a moment like this just like a week ago where we just lost all of a sudden, you know, and then like the more he laughed, the more I laughed, and then the more I laughed, the more he laughed, and then we were just like in this cycle. It was like a week ago. I have no idea why. I, I, I couldn't tell you what caused us to laugh like that. And even if I could recall, I would retell it to you and it would be absolutely not funny. Right? And it would not recreate the moment. You'd be like, really that? That's what made you lose it? What makes you lose it? I don't know, but there is something deeply human and in the moment about laughter. And that is where Sarah is. She is at that tent door and she is fully present in the moment. She is taking it all in. <laughs> she laughs to herself. Now, I'm not actually standing with her at the tent door, although it would be fun to be. So she thinks that she's having a private moment of delight. And then, then God says to Abraham, not to Sarah, God says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too difficult for God? And Sarah overhears this, and then she lies. She says she did not laugh. And the text tells us why she lies. The text says because she was frightened. So she heard something in this exchange between God and Abraham that made her feel ashamed of her laughter or embarrassed of it or kind of caught red-handed. Um, laughing at the tent door. There's something going on there. She thinks somehow that she has been reprimanded. And so she lies and says, no, I, I didn't laugh. <laughs> nope, no laughter over here. And she's probably really not laughing at that point, like got really pulled out of that moment. And then God says, no, you laughed. And I think I've always heard this as a little finger waggy. And in part because of that whole exchange, you know, with God saying, why did Sarah laugh? Sarah not think that I can do anything? What? You did laugh. So I hear a little finger wag in that story. But I wonder, I've been wondering this week if there's perhaps a wink. No, you laughed. <laughs> Whether a finger wag or a wink, I'm going to put a pin in that for now and go back to the shadow of the tent door with a laughing Sarah. And just name and acknowledge that there is all kinds of laughter. There's all kinds of laughter. 
I wonder when Sarah, post-menopausal, no longer menstruating Sarah, overhears four men discussing her giving birth in the next year. I wonder if that laughter contains some protracted grief. Ha! Ha! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've wanted that for decades, tried for that for decades, been promised that for decades. Ha! Huh. <sighs> Gonna give birth in a year now that I'm 90 and no longer menstruating. Sometimes laughter contains grief. And here I want to pause because it's just really hard to tell these Hebrew Bible stories about um, miraculous births and to not at the very least acknowledge and name aloud each time that these tales, and there are many of them, and this is part of why, these tales are really hard and difficult for those who have struggled with infertility, who have longed for children that they were never able to have. And so I don't have any magic words to fix that or make that better, um, but I can just say, I see you you for whom this story hurts. <sighs> laughter. Laughter, I have said, makes us deeply human or is a deeply human thing. Not only that, but laughter can create sacred space. And I learned that from Ted Swartz, who many of you know is a Mennonite writer and actor, director, comic, sketch comic writer and actor. Uh, and he wrote a book, a memoir titled Laughter is Sacred Space. And then from that book, he created a show. And some of you have likely seen that show. And that, that story is largely the story of his long-term relationship with his partner and collaborator, Lee Eshelman, who died by suicide in 2007. And so a story about suicide becomes a story about laughter as sacred space. The ways that they found laughter together through Lee's long-term struggle with bipolar disorder, through Ted's struggle with the experience of absence of God, the ways that they struggled alongside one another and created and found the deeply human, deeply sacred experience of laughter with one another. Ted said, if you can find comedy in a situation, that means you care about it. That means there's love there. And that is how he wrote a comedic piece about suicide that tells the truth of grief and sorrow and finds a way to laugh in the midst of that. I know this. I know this in my own experience, how closely laughter and tears reside to one another, right? It's why uh, my personal and my generation's most overused emoji is the laugh cry emoji, I think, right? I know that other generations have their own emoji that are overused. Mine is the laugh cry emoji, and it's because we know that. We know the way that laughter gives way to tears, and sometimes it's just the tears of I don't know, joy, exuberant joy. And sometimes it's laughter giving way to tears. 
Have you ever cried at, and laughed at a funeral? At the fellowship dinner that happens afterwards, where the tears and the laughter just circle around one another. So Sarah does get pregnant. She does give birth. She names her child Laughter, a boy named Laughter, Isaac. And that pin that we put in God's finger wag or wink, I think this is a good place to come back to that pin. I think that at least eventually Sarah experienced more of a wink than a finger wag from God because she claimed that laughter as blessing and named her child laughter and said the community was going to laugh with her. So Sarah took this private moment of laughter and allowed it to become public. She had this moment at the tent door where she laughed and then lied about it. So, you know, the laughter was a source of shame or embarrassment, or it was at least hidden and lied about. And it moves from that in the story to being shared, laughter shared among community, communal and claimed. God has given me laughter, Sarah says. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. That laugh that is not divorced from the sorrows of life but resides right next to them. Hafiz is a 14th century Persian poet and one of my, well, this is my favorite collection of his, The Gift, and one of my favorite poems from this collection goes like this. God and I have become like two giant people living in a tiny boat. We keep bumping into each other and laughing. <laughs> God and I have become like two giant people in a tiny boat. We keep bumping into each other and laughing. May God give you laughter and people with whom to share it. May God give us laughter at the impossibly beautiful things that we will be called to together and that we will share together as community. May we keep bumping into God and laughing. Amen.